Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz vibraphonist and composer Joel Ross. We caught up with him at the end of October to talk about his latest 2020 CD, Who Are You? Along with his twin brother, he started to play drums at the age of three. the age of 10, he switched to playing the xylophone in the school band. In high school, he learned percussion, vibraphone, and piano. That led to a very storied career playing with the likes of Herbie Hancock, Wynton Marsalis, Christian McBride, and he's just starting. He's got a great story. Enjoy. How are you holding up in this very surreal 2020 show we're all living through? I'm, I'm good, I've been saying. Uh, you know, we all could complain, but I, I'm doing all right. I'm not, I'm not complaining all right. I'm holding on to it. Well, and I think everybody should be doing a little bit better. I think there's a special place for all of you cats that are releasing material during the pandemic. I think it's <laughs> really, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, as a guy in radio, getting CDs in the mail is huge. And as, as, as a public, for us to not feel like we've lost touch with reality, I think it's yeah. great to have this music. I think it's great to have something that, that is artistically new and relevant. So talk to me a little bit about your latest album, Who Are You? Yeah, it's uh, we recorded it this past December, actually. And, um, I mean, it's really just same as the first record, just a snapshot into what the group has been doing. And it's really a culmination of the work that we've been putting in since the release of Kingmaker. Uh, we've had a lot more chances to perform and, and a lot of playing opportunities. So we've been working on a lot of different ideas with the group and a lot of, uh, a lot more focus on the way that we interact as a group and different compositions and, and things. So this album was just, you know, we were, we were on the road a lot and we went to the studio and basically I did my best to try to recreate what it is that we do when we perform live. What does this mean for this to come out during a pandemic? I mean, we have all of these other things that are going on, but that's taking precedence. What's, what's your feeling on that? I, I mean, I feel like it is, it is uh, representative of just that the arts will continue. You know, this, this is a trying time, but we, I, I, I speak for myself, but I think a lot of artists would agree that we have to, we, we have to keep creating and we have to keep putting out because this is our form of expression. So this is purely just how we will continue to go on and move forward, you know. So you have a twin brother. You both played the drums. So you probably mm-hmm. drove everybody crazy growing up, huh? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> so now that you look back on having a twin and, and having that kind of relationship, did that push you in a different way? Do you, do you feel like you, you matured musically faster? I think so. I mean, I was, my brother was always, I, I, you, know, I'm, you know, as a twin, you just get so used to having somebody right there with you. But he was he was always the better drummer, and that was always a, a form of inspiration for me. It just kept pushing me. And as we got older and I moved to the vibes and other instruments, we were always there. He was always there to bounce our musical ideas off of and practice our different things. And I think he really helped strengthen my musical vision. So, you know, what was it about the vibes that brought you in? I mean, I know what I love about it. And I think people that love the vibes, there's a special relationship. What was it that made you make that leap into that instrument? Well, truthfully, <laughs> my brother is the one who made me like make the leap. Uh, my brother and I, in Chicago, there, there are these all-city bands. And so in our elementary school, I was playing mallet percussion, playing xylophone and marimba and stuff. Uh, 
but we auditioned for these all city bands and a concert band I got in for mountain percussion, but for the jazz band, we never played jazz before, uh, but we grew up playing drums in the church. So we both auditioned on drums for that and the instructor suggested that I also play vibraphone since I was playing mountain percussion in concert band. And originally I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I wanted to play, play drums, but the, at the insisting of the teacher and and my father, they insisted that I play the play the vibraphone. And over time, I certainly developed a relationship with it. And what I like the most about it is that it is still it is a mix between the drum and you know the piano. Um, I think the best yeah the best part about it because the piano is truly my favorite instrument and the drums. So the vibraphone is is I believe the perfect mix between the two. You know, living in Kansas City, Chicago was always kind of an easier exodus, and I always see it as like a smaller version of New York. What was yeah. it like to, to be born and raised? And, and I mean, Chicago's one of my favorite towns on the whole planet. What was it like to grow up? It was nice. It's, <laughs> it's soulful. I mean, I grew up, grew up in the church, so there's that, that sound and that community and that culture is ingrained in everything that I do, but also... There's a certain blue sound that that is in Chicago. I mean, and then there's the, there's the avant-garde, the AACM, that whole scene. I didn't even spend a lot of time with that growing up. But as I'm as I'm older now, performing more and traveling more, when I come back home, I'm meeting all these other musicians and learning more about it. So there are so many different facets of music and facets of people that I that I'm uh, exposed to and that I was exposed to that really went into my musical creativity. What was the first live jazz show you saw that made you, man, this is something I'd like to do with my life? Ooh. First live jazz show, I can't even remember. Um, I think one of the first shows that, I can remember like the first show that <laughs> left me walking away a little confused was seeing, um, it was my first freshman year of college. And I was at the Monterey Jazz Festival in California, and I went to see the Wayne Shorter Quartet. What they were playing, I didn't fully understand. You know, I, everything up to that point I had been working with was more or less coming from a traditional vein. And once once I Wayne, I didn't I didn't understand what was happening. But that inspired me to like learn what it is and figure it out, and led me to continue to listen more and try to understand that that sort of dialect of the music. You know, I, I, I think all you know, music is a language, but all these different—I don't want to say styles because I don't like to put anything in a box—but all these different ways that people are playing are simply different dialects of the music. And so, I, I was just really determined to understand what they were saying and how they were communicating. You know, over the years, you learned from Stephon Harris. You toured with mm -hmm. Marquise Hill. You've been around Herbie and Christian and uh, Gerald Clayton, a lot of cats. What have you learned from all of these legends and luminaries that have helped you when you're on stage teaching young musicians? Um, I, how to lead a band is one big thing, and not, not lead a band in the sense of telling people what to do, but how to, how to create an environment that is best suitable for creating music with other people. So, I mean, a lot of different things go on. The way that you communicate, the way that you... I guess, yeah, and I guess it comes down to communication, the way that you communicate ideas with people that you're playing with. They all have their different ways of doing that, and I, 
every part of that really affected me and and the way to think about communication, which is basically a huge part of what I what I think about when performing with my group now. It's the way to communicate with each other and with the audience and, and through the music. You know, the one thing about jazz throughout time is that it's always it's always survived through adversity. It's been this medium that's truly improv, kind of like what we're living through with COVID right now. And every time it comes out, it gets stronger. I, you know, John Coltrane and Miles Davis and all those cats were really creating some, some amazing things that weren't built on capitalistic desires. They were right. very tense, post-war, racial-motivated things that were going on in this country. When I look at what we're going through in the country right now and how that has to affect the artists, how, how much stronger, what kind of strength do you think the world of jazz is going to get from this time period? I mean, the arts always thrive after a, like a, a sort of turbulent period. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to be another artistic renaissance for sure. I think a lot of artists are being inspired by the events, whether positively or negatively. They're they're being largely inspired by the events of the time, and that will lead to different expressions from a lot of different people. So, every day you wake up as a musician, what's the what's the greatest thing about being a musician? What do you look forward to the most? I don't even think of it as being a musician anymore. It's, you know, it's being an artist, but it's a part of my life. So, it's, I don't even I don't separate it from my life. It it just is what it is, and so every everything that happens in my life can lead to some sort of inspiration to inspire something creative. I, I just, really, I just try to remain open to everything, whether it be musically or whether it be in conversation. You know, that's the point I try to do is just to remain open to all facets of life. So when we do get past COVID and the musician gets back on the bandstand and the crowd returns, what do you hope we all collectively get from this absence of live music? Uh, just a deeper appreciation. I, I think, especially for musicians, the fact that we spend so long not being able to create music with each other, when we are getting together now for these gigs that are popping up now, there's, there is a deeper appreciation for the music we're making with each other. And I think the same will happen once we're able to gather again in large audiences. There will just be, in general, a deeper appreciation for the music, which hopefully will lead to I don't know, better pay and better better performance opportunities and things of that nature. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, that you're the one living your life. Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, I guess I, I'm, a, I'm a student of life and I'm an explorer. I like to, I like to learn. I like to, to experiment and try these different, and try different things. And so I, I'm some sort of scientist or some artist. You know, I'm just not. Joel, thanks for taking a minute out to Neon Jazz today, man. Good luck with the album. Stay safe out there. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York City, Chicago, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Joel for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.